0: So, I've been talking about some of the things that need to shift in our understanding in the way we think in order for us to see more of the kingdom of God manifest in our life. And in a sense, I've been talking about that since before the summer. And so, we're in the middle of a series at the moment called Shift. So if you've, if you've come for the first time and you're going, oh, well, it's in the middle of a series, don't worry, because each bit stands alone. It's like a, it, it, it builds, but each bit stands alone. Because in each of what I've been doing, I've been looking at how God needs to just shift our understanding a little bit, the way we think, in order so that we can see things differently. And the word we use for that is a, is a paradigm. A paradigm is uh, the lens through which you understand life, the lens through which you understand things. And when we, when we shift one of those paradigms, suddenly we can see lots of things we didn't understand. It, it, it releases new understanding to us, it releases new revelation, releases new life, new ways of doing things. And so far... In this, I've been talking about some of those shifts in our understanding of what church is about, what it's for, the authority that we carry, and this morning I'm actually going to look at something uh, that is relating to you as an individual rather than church-wide. Okay, so we've been talking very much about church-wide. Now, over the summer in leading up to this, I did a a teaching series called Spirit-Led Evangelism, which most of you were for. There's still... Three or four copies of CDs, if you want to take them on the welcome table, F three, free, you just take them, uh, there's five talks in there, four by me, one by Joyce, and uh, you'll be able to catch up on what we're talking about in, in that sense. Okay. What I want to talk about this morning is a place that I found myself in lots of times and I'm sure many of us have all found ourselves here where where we we sit and and we look at things like we'll look at the news, we'll look at at how the church is and the way the world is and the way the place where we work is and we'll look at it and we go, this is just too hard. This is just just too hard. This whole thing is just too difficult and I want, to, I want to live for God when I'm not here on a Sunday morning but I, I just can't see how I can make a difference because this, there's this huge world that needs changing and compared to that what have I got to offer and, and we think a lot along those lines and, and that producing it in us a a way of life that is basically um, passive. Because we don't believe we can make a difference, we adopt a passive lifestyle as far as the kingdom is concerned. And one of the reasons for that is that you know, there's all sorts of reasons why we think that, and, and in some ways, the, the the church has helped us think like that. In that, if you if you've been around uh, church for any length of time, you you will be aware of like heroes of the faith and gifted people who've uh, worked in nations like Mozambique and Argentina and Brazil and all the rest of it, and. And people who've got amazing ministries, and we, we look at them and we go, "Well, god's gifted them to do that, but look look i 've got nothing compared to what they have and when we think like that, that again produces in us that passive lifestyle, because we have understanding our paradigm is god's raised up some people to do something and we're there to cheer them on or we're there to admire them but what we've got is nothing in comparison to that. Now the really interesting thing about that is that that's not how God thinks because God thinks I've made everybody unique and individual and I gave them a purpose and and God doesn't rank abilities like we do. He doesn't think, well, that's an incredibly clever person, let them do it. Or that person's brilliant at prophecy, or that person's, you know, got faith for healing, let them do it. He doesn't think like that. He thinks every gift is equal in his kingdom and vital in his kingdom. It's us that compare, he doesn't. So to him, what we say is insignificant and I can't make a difference is just as important as all the other stuff. Right. But it, it, it's, we've trained ourselves to think of, in terms of ranking and this gift is more important than that gift or that person's got a gift of healing and I've got nothing. And, and we think like that and therefore we don't do a lot. And that produces in us a second step, which is as individuals and in, in some cases as churches, we feel like we're not as effective. As, as we should be, because the only way to be effective in our way of thinking is to have massive things, crusades, big events, uh, impressive uh, presentations. And, and, and because of that, we, we get a culture where we attend things instead of doing things. And God's trying to shake us out of that, that culture of attending things instead of doing things. Because it's great to go to things and it's great to see all these events and it's great that God has these heroes of the faith. I mean, we know some of them. Some of them are visitors in this church, not in this building, but in the past. And you meet them and you think, what amazing people. But they're amazing because they understand it's God and not them. They understand that it's God that does it and not the size of your budget that does it, or the size of your event. So, this morning, the the shift I want to talk about is this, that no matter who you are, or how limited you think you are, you can make a difference. And I'll show you why that is. And there's a principle in Scripture that is actually really easy to miss I, I, until recently i 'd not actually heard anybody talk about it, but it, it, when you look when you look at what happened in the New Testament in the book of Acts, how areas got impacted by the gospel it 's really clear the way that God works in the kingdom, and the principle' is this it 's called the domino principle okay so uh, that That's not what the Bible calls it. You won't find the word domino in the Bible. You'll find it in this is the way I think about it. Now, I'm just going to show you a little video because one of the things about a domino is it can knock over a domino one and a half times its size. Okay? So you can start something that has an impact way beyond the size that you are. This is actually the, the world record for dominoes. Not numbers, but size. You get the idea? Yeah. Okay. So Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's not giving them information. What he's doing is he's training them in the principles of the way the kingdom works. So in Mark 4, Jesus has been talking about how seed works, seed planted in the ground. And then he makes this statement right at the end of Mark chapter 4 in verse 31. I t- truly, I tell you, if you faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. So. OK, so it's not Mark, it's Matthew. OK, there. We'll have that. that Mark I want the one I want. To what can we compare the kingdom of God? How can I illustrate it to you? So this is Jesus talking about How how can I explain to you how the kingdom of God works so you can get it to work for you. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But after it's planted, it grows to be the largest of all the garden plants and the birds come and nest in its branches. So there's a principle there, which is a small action of faith has a multiplied effect. That's how the kingdom works. So what starts out small, in effect, if it continues, it continues to grow. And eventually, you can almost, that's what Jesus says, you can move mountains at the end. But the start is small. And what he's talking about, because he's talking about teaching them how the kingdom works, he's talking about how you bring the superior reality of heaven to bear on the circumstances and the inferior reality that we have on earth. And what he's saying is is this, there's a principle in the kingdom, you can call it growth or you can call it momentum, but the kingdom carries within it, the kingdom of which he's king carries within it, momentum. And once that momentum's engaged, it's of continuing effect if we don't falter and give up. But what we have to do, however small or insignificant, is to start that momentum with an act. So what Jesus is saying to to those who who think they have nothing and think, well, what difference can I make? He's saying, well, if you understood the kingdom, you would realise everybody can make a difference. Because it actually starts out with something really small that you can do. And if you do that and maintain your faith, it will create that domino effect. And and what's at the end of it will come crashing down. So what we've got in our our way of thinking is we, we look at the world or the community or the area and we'll see the news or we'll look at all the issues that Cambridge has or we'll look at the university and we'll go, how can God make any impact here and what difference can I make? And Jesus is saying the way this is works is, I've thought of that in advance. So the way it works is if you'll do a small thing, the kingdom contains within it the momentum that will bring down the big thing. So we have to train ourselves as individuals and bodies to think that we can make a difference and the difference is made by the cumulative effect of the small things we do not the big, massive thing that we need half a million pounds to do. The small things that we can do as individuals and the small things that we can do as a church. Let me, um, let me show you this in action because it's okay Jesus saying that, but did the disciples actually do anything with it? So, Right at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus says this. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, right to the end of the age. Now, we talked about a lot about that over the summer in the Spirit-Led Evangelism series, but the, the point here which is often missed is that Jesus is actually talking about discipling nations. He's not talking about getting people saved, although that's, that's part of it, that's a small part of it. But Jesus is saying there's a bigger picture here that we, we as the body of Christ are meant to affect the culture around us. We make the, 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 the culture that we live in is meant to change because we're part of it. And he uses this word discipling nations. Now that, that word there is um, ethne, E-T-H-N-E, which we get ethnic from. So what Jesus is saying is he, he's asking us to affect the culture of ethnic groups, smaller groups, I suppose, tribes in those days, and, and to, to look at our role as bringing the kingdom into being in our culture. So that's much bigger than just saying, well, I want to get people saved. And he says, so in his understanding of how that works, the question is, how how do we go about that? What do you do? do? So the, the other side of what Jesus is saying comes right, so that's the end of the book of Matthew, and Jesus is about to go, and, and go back up into heaven having been resurrected if, if you look at something else he said in, at that same time right at the start of Acts in Acts eight, he says that you'll be given power so don't do anything until you're given power that's the power of the Holy Spirit and when he comes you'll be my witnesses in Judea uh, in Jerusalem in all Judea into Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the remotest parts of the earth. What's he saying there? He's saying that you don't start with the remotest parts of the earth. You don't start with the big thing. So we don't start and go, how are we going to save the world? Where do you start? You start right where you are. In their case, they were in Jerusalem. So they're starting in Jerusalem. And so we start where we are, and that's, uh, that's part of the logic of us moving into a community where we can have an effect as opposed to uh, a bit out of the way where just people travel to us who hear about us. So, and that's also the logic about behind what we're, we're asking you to do as life groups, which is this idea of adopt a street. So, the idea there is that each person in a life group adopts the street and undertakes that they're going to pray for it and walk it and um, observe, pay peace, pay blessing, pay favour on that street consistently. Why? Because we want to see God's blessing come in that area. Now, our mission, the mission of believers when you frame it in the terms Jesus is framing it, isn't just to try and get a few people saved. Our mission as believers is in all areas of life to bring heaven to earth, to see the kingdom come on earth. And we know that because Jesus told us to pray for it every day. He said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as believers, in every, any area we see needs or concerns, our aim is to bring heaven to earth. That's our mission as, as believers. That's our mission, in a sense, as faith life. But we start small. We start with an area. We start with an area which we're in as a church, which is here, and we start with the area which we're in as a life group, with praying for our streets. Now, what did the disciples do in response to this? So they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, there's 3,000 people saved, and we think, we're away. What would you do? What, well, what would we do if next Sunday 3,000 people are in here? What would we do? We wouldn't have enough coffee. coffee. Charles, a practical one, yeah. Okay, well, we'd invest in more coffee. I suppose that's the answer. Okay. It's interesting to see what the disciples did because I, I think if we had three thousand people turn up, we'd slap it across the internet. We'd make videos. We we we'd be in the press and we 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 basically hold some <coughs> massive meetings. That that's, that would be our response now. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. It's just not what they did because they understood that, that it wasn't them, it was God. And, and their part was to do the things that Jesus had shown them consistently, and then he would do the rest. So we find 3,000 people getting saved, and then they spend the next X months doing the things that Jesus showed them to do while he was here. So this is what they do, Acts 2.42. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it says that the outcome of that was God added to their number day by day. Now, when we read those things, we, we put them through this paradigm, this lens that we have of religion and church. So we go... So what did they do? They attended meetings where they listened to teaching like this, or maybe not like this. Uh, They did communion together and they prayed together. And they had little fellowship groups. Because that's the model that we've made. And we've taken all the power out of what they were doing, which they were doing consistently. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, you've got to ask, what were the apostles' teaching? Was it just information? No, the apostles were teaching the same things as Jesus had taught them, which is how does the kingdom work and how do you do it? And when it says that they had fellowship, that means that they shared hospitality, and, and we find out in Acts, from home to home with believers and unbelievers. They, they, they held food. They had parties and had food together and shared food. And when it says breaking of bread, that's what it means. It doesn't mean communion. Because if it meant communion, it would have said bread and wine. And, you know, in, in Paul's letters, he talks about communion. He talk, they knew what communion was. This is eating together. And what they do, what, then what they're doing, they're praying into the needs and the issues that they see. And they are expecting a miracle in answer to those prayers. So what they're doing is really powerful. Uh, which is quite different from the the sort of model that we think about when when we've read that passage before. And so what we want to be doing is we want to be building relationships with people, finding out the needs, praying for those needs and expecting miracles. In that sense, every single one of us can make a significant difference because we can tip a domino over they'll hit another domino. Now, let, let's see what happens then. So you, you've then got uh, Peter and John. They decide that they're going to do their routine because we have to be consistent in these things. One of the, 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 the biggest issues we have as Christians is we're not, in, in this era, is we're not consistent. We, we're all over the place. We're and the growing trend in churches now is people are here one week in three because they've got other things on, and and that's that's the society that we're creating even in churches. And and I read stuff on the internet from other leaders, and they say, well, you need to accept that people are only we- here one week in three. And I'm going, I'm not accepting that because that's not the pattern Jesus had. He, he had a family that were committed to each other and covenanted to each other, and so. What they did, they did consistently. So uh, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. And there's a guy there and he's begging. And he's asking for alms, as they they call it, ALMS, which is basically give me something, give me some money. And he cries out to uh, Peter and John and they go over to him and they look at him and see what is his need. And they don't give him what he asks for. They give him what he needs. So they say, well, you know, famous line, silver and gold have I known, but what I have I give you. <coughs> and so this, this guy who's been lame from birth doesn't get any money, which he would have been satisfied with. Instead, he gets a miracle. Because Peter takes him by the hand, yanks him up, and as, he, as he's pulling him to his feet, his ankles and, and lame feet are healed, and he starts dancing, singing, shouting, celebrating, and creates this huge kerfuffle. That's, that's a northern word, kerfuffle. You can try saying that if you want, kerfuffle. And... Um, and then he goes around telling everybody about what's happened. What have Peter and John just done? They've knocked over the domino that's going to take Jerusalem. One, two people, one prayer. Knocks over the domino. It, it ends with the city of Jerusalem being taken for the gospel. First stage of what Jesus told them to do. Why does it? Because this guy, who's just got healed, he's a bit of a blabbermouth. He's an external <laughs> processor. He's not only a dancer, he's a singer, he's a <coughs> shouter. Everybody knows him. And he goes and tells everybody. Have you ever met anybody like that? Yeah? He, Rachel, stop pointing at John. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he goes and tells them that. And uh, he creates this this huge stir right across the city, so much so that the guy that runs the temple where Peter and John had been going to pray and the captain of the guard and a load of Sadducees, religious people, because religious people don't like God doing what only God can do, they all turn up. And they, they see the crowds of people because... It, the, the Bible tells that crowds of people by this stage have been listening to this guy who got healed and running every time Peter and John turned up anywhere in their vicinity to meet them and hear what they had to say. And so they end up, this captain of the guard and the temple officials and the Sadducees, they end up arresting Peter and John. Now, at that point, when you're Peter and John and you've just been invested by the captain of the guard and thrown in jail, awaiting whatever, does that look good? That's why we don't see the fullness of the kingdom in our nation. Because at that point we stop and go, it can not have been God, look how it's turned out because we don't understand the principle that once the momentum has been started if we, won't, if we, if we don't lose faith and falter the momentum can't be stopped no. whereas Peter and John understood that because Jesus had taught them that that's the way the kingdom works so they're expecting something so what happens then they are taken up before the captain of the guard and the temple officials and they're basically put on trial. Not in in an official court, but an unofficial religious sort of trial. And in chapter 4 we find this. Verses 14 to 18. The people who are interrogating them get a bit of a problem because they've got these two guys stood in front of them, Pete and John, and uh, they come to a realisation, which is these guys stood in front of us, as in Peter, he's not very bright. (laughs) He's uneducated. He hasn't got anything. He's not a great orator. So that gives us a problem. What problems it give us? It gives us this problem. How did he do it? It can't have been him. Because in worldly terms, he's got nothing. He's, he's uneducated, he's a fisherman, he's a bit of a, a loud mouth. He's not, he's not anybody we would pick to, to have any influence and yet this city is starting to go to his meetings and, and turn up all over the place. What's going on? And then it says... Because of that, they marvelled and recognised that he must have been with Jesus. And then they say this, and seeing the man who'd been healed, so the guy who has been healed, he's there, he's still shooting his mouth off, still telling everybody, still dancing because he's been healed. Standing, and, and he's standing there with them at the court. He's had a radical life transformation. He's gone from asking for money at the gates of the temple to standing up at the court with the guys who healed him in their defence. And he's standing with them, and they've got nothing to say in reply. And they order them to go outside the cons- council to confer with each other. What are we going to do with these men? <coughs> For the fact that a noteworthy miracle is taking place is apparent, and we can't deny it. You see, when, they, when something is of the kingdom, you can't deny it because humans can't do it. That's why the gospel is a supernatural gospel. Because when we see the supernatural, you can't deny it. But we can talk and present and bullet point and slide and music and big event all we like, and people can go, the world can do that. Yeah. And so we can end up shuffling around the, shuffling people around the kingdom without the kingdom growing. And we want to see the kingdom grow. Yeah. What then happens is this. They, they release them because they can't deny it's a miracle and tell them that they are no longer allowed to talk about Jesus or mention his name. Because the poor guy, well, they're now not the poor guy, the happy guy who got healed said, the reason I got healed was they said Jesus' name and I got healed. And so now they think, ah, that's how it works. You can't say Jesus' name anymore. Again, at that point, how would we respond now? Because if we understand that the kingdom carries momentum and if we want to interrupt that momentum, we're (coughs) waiting for what comes next. If we don't understand that, we're giving up. And we're going... I can't do that, I might lose my job. I can't talk to anybody at work in case I get called up. And, and so our paradigm has put us backed into a corner because our God has got smaller and we need our God to get bigger. so what do they respond this is this is how they respond in verses 29 31 they all get together and they do what they've always been doing but they've got a new need they pray they listen to the apostles teaching they get together they break bread and they pray you see the momentum is maintained by prayer because prayer releases the kingdom onto earth he said, and so this is what they pray, take note of their threats, grant this your servants that he'll speak the word with all boldness. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name, which they're not allowed to say, he who shall not be named, the holy servant Jesus. And what happens? The place, when they pray, the, pl- the whole place is shaken and, and, and the walls start rocking of the place that they're in. And it says that they went out and carried on speaking the name of Jesus with boldness. What happens then is, is there's some events take place which I, I'll, I'll gloss over for the sake of time. But basically they're speaking the word with boldness and the fear of God descends on the place. And everybody in, in the whole of Jerusalem becomes aware that, that God is doing something. And what, what, what's the response of the authorities to that? They haul them back in and say, hey, guys, we told you not to preach this name. And now look what you've done. It's got worse, not better. So we're, we're taking this pretty seriously now. And um, so what do they do? They get thrown in prison, they pray, they get miraculously released from prison. Now, that's not going to do you any good if you're a local authority, is it? Like, these guys walked out of my prison. Why, why is that? Because they still haven't given up because they know that the momentum's still going. And we get to the end of chapter five, and there's this remarkable statement. When they're holed up before the authorities again, it says, the the authorities use this word, they say, you have filled the whole of Jerusalem with your teaching. What was the goal? Fill the whole of Jerusalem with the teaching before you go on to Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. So they've got to their goal at that point. How did it happen? Peter knocked a domino over. He, he didn't know that that guy was going to do what he was going to do. He didn't know that he was going to get arrested. He didn't know that the that they were then going to pray and the walls would get shaken and, 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 and God would intervene and miracles would come. He didn't know all that. He just met the one thing that was in front of them with what he had. Let me show you how somebody who is actually on the other side of the fence understands the principle. Because one of the... One of the people who is on trial before a guy called Gamaliel, Gamaliel, who was apparently the person who was responsible for training Paul, who was called Saul at that time, he he makes a statement in front of the council, and this is a statement he makes from uh, Acts chapter five. We got that. Have you not got that? Okay. Don't know where that's gone. Okay, I'll read it. So Peter starts talking and he tells them, uh, basically gives them a snapshot of where they're at. And it says, uh, when he said this, they were cut to the quick. That means they were upset. And intended to slay him. It's not looking good at this point. So they intend to slay him. Now, this is what he said. A certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in front of the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. So basically, you go out of the room while we talk about you. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. He's saying, guys, this is really important we get this right. For some time ago, Judas rose up claiming to be somebody. Lots of people rise up claiming to be somebody, don't they? And a group of about 400 men joined with him, but he was slain and everybody who followed him uh, perished and were scattered. And so Gamaliel comes up with a statement. So in the present case, what I'm saying is we should steer clear of these guys because we know being Jews... From the principles of the Old Testament, from Proverbs and Isaiah and so on, we know from being Jews that if this is of God, you can't stop it. You're putting yourselves in the wrong place. You're you're putting yourself in in, in the place of that last domino that's going to come down and crush everything. If you try and stop this and it's of God, you can't. Because once the momentum has started, you can't stop it. But if it's not of God, it'll stop of its own accord. So he's understanding that, that once something of God has been started, men don't stop it because it carries the kingdom.